The signs of combat, at least for now, rhetorical combat, are all around us. On Twitter, we flame and mock one another without mercy, calling into question the character of the other with only the slightest of provocations, or no provocation at all. If our intellectual or political adversary really transgresses, we attempt to cancel him or her. We are glued to our screens nearly 24-7 for the latest example of our opponent's foolishness or knavery, ready to share or retweet with our own barbed commentary. With a mixture of righteous indignation and schadenfreude, we feel justified in our verbal nastiness. After all, the stakes have never been higher, or so we think. But in the dark, private part of our souls, hanging upside down like a sleeping bat, is the nagging question, is this what Jesus intended when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? A brief survey of our nation and our world raises some questions. Did the bush flame from Moses and the sun stand still for Joshua and the lions turn aside from Daniel so that the church of Jesus Christ might engage in worldly battles using worldly means, carrying on what we now see on the streets of our cities, on the evening news, and on social media. But let's be clear. To encircle ourselves in our political echo chambers or holy huddles without embodying and proclaiming Christ is a violation of our very identity. For Jesus said, you shall be my witnesses. While Twitter or Facebook may have its uses, it is not the primary way we are to be his witnesses. Social media prizes conformity to the pattern of this world, a world engaged in combat. No matter the prevailing ethos on Twitter, believers in Jesus are not called to be proverbial bulls in a china shop, which often arises when we fail to understand and love our neighbor. The people we engage in discussion, our co-workers, family members, and friends, are not the enemy. They are, according to Scripture, the victims of the enemy, people who need to be reconciled to God. Too often, our interaction with those on the other side of an issue fails to have reconciliation as the end game. Social media conforms us to its adversarial image so that otherwise reasonable people become warriors filled with mocking insults. This may be the new normal of popular culture, but it can't ever be the normal for men and women whose identity is founded in Christ. Christians are not battling with people of differing viewpoints. We are, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, at war with spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, no matter what it seems to be in the day-to-day -day battles that appear on our newsfeed. We must find grace and mercy and warm-hearted vision to look beyond the antagonist, recognizing how we can help that person draw closer to Christ. This, my friends, is our goal. Just imagine how this change in perspective would radically alter our current state of affairs. To understand that God did not design the world to be won by being more clever or persuasive, by putting the secular world in its place. No, God reconciles humanity by love, patience, and kindness. It's not ultimately about being right on the issues. It's about helping others get right on the ultimate issue, the calling to embrace Jesus as Savior and Lord. 
what an opportunity. For good or for ill, Christians are no longer the moral majority, but we can still serve as a prophetic minority, a calling that comes not by retreating, but by refocusing on the role that Christians have had all along. And what is that role? To serve as ambassadors of God's kingdom, showcasing Christ's kingdom rule for heaven through his people upon the earth. This message is of greater importance than the talking points of our political party. Don't get me wrong. This is not to say that Christians can be ambivalent about political and social issues. When churches in 1856 Alabama or 1925 Mississippi called sinners to repentance for gambling and drunkenness, but not for slaveholding or lynching, they tragically missed their calling. They failed to address the sins of their day with the life-giving truth and grace of Christ. The same is true today on myriads of issues, from protecting the life of the unborn, to racial inequality, to the encroaching threat of socialism upon our religious freedom. Yes, social issues matter greatly, but we must address them with the kingdom mentality that drove Jesus and the apostles. The kingdom of Christ is more important than the kingdom of the moment, for the supremacy of Christ reframes our priorities, putting every other issue into perspective. Our vote for president is important, but it's no more important than our vote to receive a new member into the church, which is the body of Christ. This, my friends, is our calling, the reconciling of man with God and with one another. The rapidly changing culture in which we find ourselves can easily cloud and confuse this calling, easily imposing discouragement and fear in people who ought to be characterized by hope and joy. In this contentious election season and beyond, let's reclaim that primary calling to serve our neighbors, all of our neighbors, to the best of our ability and with wisdom and discernment to trust our Father in heaven. He has placed us in a lost world that needs not more combat, but the loving embrace of God through Jesus Christ. This is no accident. Let's commit in the power of the Spirit to be his hands, his feet, and his voice, knowing that we are secure in him, whatever may happen. As Scripture assures us, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him.